This is the Pitbull registration packet. Good morning. It's, what is it, uh, March 4th? Uh, yes, I believe so. 2011, this is Five Way to Show About Worcester. I'm Michael Benedetti, Brendan Melkin, and a Pitbull registration packet. What is this exactly? This is the packet that everybody that uh, has in Worcester that has a Pitbull on file um, is getting to register their Pitbulls uh, to be in compliance with the city's <coughs> new ordinance. Okay. It's quite the thing, really. I mean, one, you get a copy of the ordinance, which uh, is, is surprisingly well fleshed out. So this is like a real thing now? It uh, goes into effect, yeah. I mean, you have to sign up by April 1st. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know how, I mean, the amount of information that they're asking about the dogs is pretty impressive. You need your dog's uh, social security number, his blood type, uh, MCAS scores. It's, it's a pretty comprehensive uh, request for, for information here. Photographs. Legal um, name, your, your name and address. Well, that's not the dog's legal name. You have to attach a photo ID in the blank space. How do you attach a photo ID to the paper? Do you staple it? Literally says, do you, do you literally you get an old your, driver's you license? You get your license staple back it? when your dog dies. <laughs> your, the dog's weight, the dog's color, his distinguished physical characteristics. My, my, uh, apparently for me that would be wicked old and lumpy. I don't know. Th those, those would be distinguishing, but this says distinguished oh. physical well, characteristics. Oh, a tie suit. <laughs> yeah. Very He's well dressed. He's got sort of a patrician air to him. <laughs> the, uh... The ordinance itself is interesting too, though, because I mean, like everything, it includes definitions. And wait, he must be neutered or spader or spayed. Yeah. No more breeding. Pit bull sex must be nude. I can't do close <laughs> There's a joke in there somewhere. The uh, the definition is interesting though, because I don't think that I you know one I, I don't have a pit bull right. I mean, I'm getting this because when my dog came from <clears> the pound. It was a puppy, right? And we talked about this on a show. They before. were like, whatever. This, you guys we, were like, this is, looks like kind of a pit bull. Sure. All dogs look like puppy. You know, poodles look like pit bulls when they're bored. I mean, yes. dogs tend to look very similar when they're, they're young. Um, but the way they define a pit bull, I mean, he doesn't really meet. My dog doesn't meet any of the uh, traits or characteristics here. And then the final sentence is, you know, the term pit bull. The catch-all is that the term pit bull, as used in this section, shall include any dog regardless of breed that qualifies as a dangerous dog. And, Again, my <laughs> Wait a second. So, 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 what's, so what the city is saying so you here is a lion. <laughs> any dangerous dog is now called a pit bull. So right. in future years, just keep this in mind, in future years, whenever we see, we will see that 100% of all dog attacks in Worcester are for pit, pit bull bulls, related. by right. definition. By definition. But the other thing, too, is, you know, I mean, again, <clears throat> my dog's 13. I mean, he literally, I'm not saying this just to be silly, but I, he, I could go home and he could be dead right, by, right now, right? I mean, he, he's like on the verge. But after 13 years, he's shown no dangerous tendencies at all. So I really don't think that I need to even fill this out. I mean, there's like there's nothing in this that leads me to believe that uh, my dog, in any way, shape, or form, meets any of the city's definition for being a pit bull and requiring further. At this point, statistically, your dog is one of the safest dogs in the city. <laughs> yes, I mean, but the city wants you to put a sign that says "pit bull dog" or "beware of dog" in lettering, not less than yeah. two inches. Are you going to do this? I, 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 no, I mean, I'm not. It's just silly. I mean, the, the, the other things requesting muzzles and whatnot. My dog doesn't have teeth anymore, right? He's so dangerous that he's going to gum somebody to death out on the streets of Worcester. Are you willing to say on this show then, come and get me, copper? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's just, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, I think what I'll do is just go to my veterinarian and say, you know, look, it never <clears> dawned on me before. You know, I never had a need to try and change his uh, his breed, right? I mean, it's it's just something that never never bothered me that somewhere on file he was listed as a pit bull. He's just a mutt, right? I mean, he's mm -hmm. another dog that, of, of from points unknown. Um, but I mean, I'll probably just go to my veterinarian and have him state on the record that it's clearly not a pit bull. It's something 
you know, not yet defined by <laughs> any animal experts, and we'll take care of it that way. Not to get around the, the, the ordinance, but just that this ordinance doesn't, yeah, this ordinance isn't directed at my dog. So, I don't know. Worcester City Council. Shame, shame, shame. All right. Another on a long list of, uh, of great successes for the Worcester City no, Council. What, one thing that's interesting, though, too, is that, so this is Section 12A of, um, of, of the Worcester's, uh, of Worcester's general ordinances. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about that is Section 12A of the Massachusetts general law is the section that we use to uh, temporarily um, uh, incarcerate people of uh, questionable mental health status. Mm. I think there's some, some degree of irony and possibly a joke. There's a there. metaphor or something. There's something going on there that, that, you know, Section 12A of the Worcester ordinances may be one of the craziest things that this Worcester City Council has ever put together. <laughs> When did they? Uh, no, I thought that they had originally said basically we would like an ordinance, but we don't know what it would be. Somebody should write us an ordinance. Did they actually? Apparently, turn, somebody did that. <laughs> did, 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 did they then turn around and vote on the ordinance, or like whatever ordinance was come up with? You know, was I kind of automatically okay with. I them. was somewhat under the impression as well. Maybe I just don't pay as good attention to things as I like to think that I do. That this was still kind of up in the air. I didn't realize, like you said, that when someone said, hey, we should probably have an ordinance and think this through, <clears> that <throat> somebody within the city's legal department would say, hey, I get a little bit of free time. I'll write you an ordinance. That's awesome. <laughs> and then pop that out. So, You're a credit legislator. There it is. It's uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. Here's what we got on the show today. We're going to talk about the man who made the turtle boy. We're going to talk about gadflies. We might not talk about mac and cheese. We're going to talk about... Worcester Magazine, and we're going to talk about marijuana fines. Is there anything else um, we should get to before those things? I don't think so. No? How, how are you cold. doing this week? I'm, I'm a little chilly. But it is cold in this house. It's just cold in general. You know, we have these seeds up here that are, like, getting ready to sprout. It's time if you're. It's time, it's time to, to mess around with your seedlings if you're uh, going to garden. But, man, in this room, nothing is germinating. I'm going to tell you that. Well, it's freezing. It's still winter in this room. <laughs> um... All right, which of those? Which of those do you want to talk about first? We got gadflies, Worcester Magazine, Hit marijuana. Me with gadflies, because I'm not even sure where you're going with that. There. Here's where I'm going with gadflies. So, um, oh, where I'm going with gadflies is we're going to say some nice things about Billy Bro and Gary Vecchio today on the show. All right, that's my plan. At least I will help you also. I can play. I can play ball with that. Um, and I don't know if I should start with gadflies or I should start with newspapers. I'll start with newspapers. <laughs> Nicole Apostola, who is a sometimes producer and contributor to this program, wrote something, which I couldn't find online this morning, unfortunately. She, she, she was noting something in the Holy Cross student newspaper. Mm -hmm. One of the editors was like, the reason that no... Maybe it wasn't Holy Cross. I think it was Holy Cross. It was Holy Cross. It was Holy yeah. Cross. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's why I couldn't find One of the editors said, you know, we always have trouble getting contributions to this paper, especially opinion pieces. And the reason is people don't want to put their neck out. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were like, originally thought people was people didn't care, people didn't have the time. It's like, no, people don't want to put their neck out. People yeah, don't want to. The idea that it's not that people are afraid to write, it's that people are afraid to be read. People are afraid to be read. Exactly. There you go. It's a beautiful turn of phrase. And I saw a similar, uh, I saw a similar thing uh, this week. Seth Godin, who's like a big marketing guru on the internet, put out an, he put out an e-book called Poke the Box. It's only a dollar. If you like Seth Godin, you'll probably like this little one dollar e-book. Uh, and I want to read this section. We've actually read stuff from Seth Godin before, but this reminded me of that. He says, this, this section is entitled, If You See Something, Say Something. Do we actually need this slogan and the ads that go with it? Let's deconstruct it for a second. If you see something, something, a dangerous device, a bomb, say, or a zombie with a knife, or a suitcase with sparks coming out of Wait, it, or a zombie with a knife? Yes. Or asbestos <laughs> hanging from the ceiling of the daycare center, 
Say something. Something. Pick up the phone, dial 911, point it out to a soldier in camouflage. Why would anyone hesitate to report a zombie? Because we've been taught to shut up and keep our heads down. Because the authorities don't actually like gadflies or neighborhood watch busybodies, so they make it uncomfortable to speak up. In many police departments, the first suspect in a dispute is the one who took the time to call it in. This slogan is one more example of the amplification of society's instinct to ignore instead of act. And I was thinking that that's true what you said about gadflies, that, you know, politicians do not like the Billy Bros and Gary Vecchios of the world, I would say, in general, because mm -hmm. it's like, we're just trying to get things done here, and you're like, you're like citizen input, and you're community organizing, and you're whatever else. It's just causing us a problem. It's sometimes embarrassing. Right. You know, you're just you're just gumming up the works, and like things would just be a lot better, and like the things that you're bringing up don't seem important to us. And why don't you just shut up? You can't have fancy central planning with all these people who are not in the center doing planning for you. Exactly, exactly. So I want to say that despite so, especially Billy Bro, who I think we'll talk about on the show, mm -hmm. uh, uh, matters of policy disagreeing with him on, sure. maybe disagreeing about whether he has his facts straight or his facts at all. At the same time, I don't want to fall into this trap, and maybe maybe we sometimes. Maybe, I don't, like, I don't know if this is, like, some sort of, like, community-wide attitude fostered by the powers that be. That sounds a little too conspiracy-minded mm -hmm. to me. But maybe it is. That, like, these guys are just a bunch of jackasses, and we should all just, like, make fun of them, you know? Not the case at all, right? I mean, I, I, like you mentioned, in terms of policy and thing, and, and just general uh, worldview, uh, there's not much that I agree with in terms of specifics, right? But just the idea that you've got someone like Billy Bro that is so active in his neighborhood and cares so much about his neighborhood and the extended community, that's a rarity, right? I mean, for, for someone that's both that public and that de that public and that dedicated to their neighborhood, it's it's really kind of amazing. And I've been saying on a regular basis now that, I mean, as, as much as I disagree with these folks, and I don't mean this to sound, uh, you know, trying to soften up uh, that disagreement at all, um, but the... When folks like that are gone, like that's when we're really going to miss them and realize how much they actually did bring to the table in terms of the community because mm -hmm. they're just kicking off conversations that we probably wouldn't have otherwise for yeah. the very reasons that you state or you or Seth Godin stated that we're kind of trained to ignore most of the things that go on around us and and you know it's nice once in a while when people bring things to our attention. It's unfortunate when they're the things that you kind of wish people wouldn't call attention to. But just the fact that somebody's out there uh, putting themselves out there and, and and willing to start conversations that other people would be more than happy to. Uh, to ignore, that's pretty amazing. And you know, there there are people who I feel like are probably degrading the public discourse in the city, who just have like borderline personality disorder, mm -hmm. and all they're contributing is basically turning every issue into a series of ad hominem attacks yep. and whatever. But these guys are not doing that. Like these guys are out there like working for the community. There's plenty of people, I guess, in the city. I was actually the Tea Party people. I would I want to say, and I feel like this show we've talked about the Tea Parties a lot, and I want to reiterate my. Uh, general sense of admiration and happiness towards the Tea Party, just in the sense that, like, hey, like you're getting out there, you're doing stuff, mm -hmm. you know. We like, don't have to agree on everything. We don't that's have to the agree whole on point. It. Like until we find a whole bunch of things to disagree on, we can't actually get down to the dirty work of the compromise that makes a representative democracy function in the first place. Anyway, <laughs> stay strong, neighborhood gadflies. Stay strong. Do we even do we need to talk about this marijuana thing? Did he even? Oh, I should. Uh, it did I, come up at length at the well, city council meeting. Okay, well, I, I want to say I think that this thing with gadflies maybe also ties into anonymous blogging a little bit. Mm -hmm. We we had we had our like maybe it was last year this sort of spate of anonymous spate the word group of anonymous bloggers sort of surface in the city of Worcester. Not in the not not anonymous in the cool way of taking down you know international powers of powers that be. Nobody like, was going after H. B. Gary. No, I mean we're just talking <clears> about local anonymous like. 
I'm too cowardly to put my name out there sort of thing. But I think that that's the similar thing, though, where it's like people don't want to stick their neck out. It's like mm -hmm. you don't want to stick your neck out because you don't want to have your name attached to your maybe negative opinions that you feel like might unfairly hurt you in work or social life, whatever. But I think that also you don't want to, like, Seth Godin's all about, like, that, that like, these irrational fears, irrational and primal fears that we have mm -hmm. keep us from doing a lot of things that we should, we should probably be doing. And, like, one of those is fear of criticism. Like, if right. somebody says to you, you know, Brandon, your blog post sucked, mm -hmm. like, it doesn't actually do anything. I mean, it's kind of a, a drag, but it's not really so so bad. No, but, especially since I probably can, can agree. <laughs> but, but, yeah. right, but, but we have such anxiety around these things and such irrational fears around these things that that kind of fear actually motivates a lot of our things. And I think that, that like, anonymous, I think that anonymous blogging that's not, that doesn't have to do with anything that's really like whistleblowery or really risky or anything like that, just like shooting your mouth off an anonymous blog, I think is exactly that. It's like, if you write a blog post which is terrible and people say your blog post sucked and you're like anonymous blogger, like, Ooh, mysterious right. individual. That's one you can kind of shrug it off, and 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 like those criticisms don't really don't really get you in the same way. If if your name is actually on there, if somebody says mysterious blogger, your blog post sucked. That's one thing. If somebody says Brendan, your blog post sucked. That's another thing. Well, and the, I think it's meaningful to point out too that most anonymous blogging in a city like Worcester isn't celebrating the city of Worcester. It's usually just taking shots at everything that's wrong with the city. And I think at this point, everyone should recognize, I think all of us realize that there's plenty wrong in Worcester, right? We're not all just like celebrating, tooting Worcester's horn, right? We, we all recognize <laughs> there are problems, but if you grow up around here, you re one of the first things you learn as a Worcester resident is that all you have to do is go literally one inch outside of the border of Worcester in any general direction, and you're going to find thousands of people who are more than happy to criticize the place that you live for you know, just any reason that, that comes to the table. And whenever I see someone online who's, you know, uh, anonymous, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. It's like, this person isn't actually being critical of Worcester from inside. If they were, they'd want to put their name out there to be a part of a, a bigger conversation. This is someone who's just sniping from the sidelines, and there's no shortage of pe people from Paxton who hate Worcester and, you know, just resent the fact that they have to drive through it every day to get to work. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It's true. But yeah, criti criticizing Worcester, there's, there's, probably, there's probably edgy ways to talk about Worcester, but just criticizing Worcester in and of itself is like the least edgy thing. It's like basically what everybody does all the day, all the day long. Um, marijuana? Why don't, you talk about mar why don't you talk about marijuana, and then we can talk about Worcester Magazine, and I can read a thing from the New York Times. Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, the marijuana thing was really nothing, I guess. It, 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 this week, we, Billy Bro, um, came to the Worcester City Council to ask that our fines that are set by the state for uh, possession of small amounts of marijuana, uh, which is set as $100 now as a civil fine, uh, be raised to $300. And that he was also asking that we attach some strings to better define uh, not using uh, uh, marijuana in public or, or what have you. The council seemed to do a pretty good job of just kind of blowing it off in general. Um, the idea being, which I was glad to hear uh, both Ron Madnick uh, say from the ACLU and then a few councillors echo that uh, you know, the city of Worcester made it quite clear uh, through elections and referendum uh, what its feelings on marijuana are. Um, this side of the city over here, the west side of the city in the last election, you know, went a step further, and it was 62% of people over in this district voted in favor of um, a non-binding refer referendum uh, to allow uh, medical marijuana in the state, right? So it's, it's just one of those things that attitudes have clearly changed over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years. Um, and it, there are folks that haven't caught up with that. And again, this is, you know, Billy Rose insider view from Worcester, he might, for, from Maine South, he might see something totally different than the rest of us are seeing. But mm -hmm. as a whole, the city does not want to be, seems to not want to be moving towards uh, more punitive measures for dealing with, you know, 
personal use uh, and possession of marijuana. Was 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 this thing filed? Uh, subcommittee, yeah. So it will probably vanish. Maybe okay. it'll pop up again. But you know, I, it's actually a few counselors. Connie Luke's actually asked for some real data, not just anecdotes, but from data from the police department as to what they're seeing. And I think with the police department, if they put that data together, it will probably show that there just isn't a problem there to be concerned with. Um, People are walking back and forth carrying firewood, but we're not going to video them out of respect for their privacy. That's why Brendan's eyes keep, you know, keep shooting back and forth. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Well, so yeah, we weed and Worcester. Nothing changes. It would be kind of it would be kind of interesting if like, the city actually did substantially increase the fines, and because it, it would sort of set up an odd. I want to say I want to say it would sort of set up an odd uh, incentive, maybe. Well, you know, the, the, we've said this before, we've at least discussed this before, that, you know, there's no question that we have issues of violence that surround drugs, right? I mean, what, from a local level all the way to an international level, I mean, you have to be working pretty hard to not recognize that there are major issues of crime and violence involving drugs. But I think most people that have thought through the issue are starting to recognize or do recognize that the violence is a problem because specifically because of the black market right i mean you create a system that at least is, with the illegal drugs right well that's what i'm saying there's yeah. certainly legal drugs like alcohol that have a ton of violence attached which are that's more user-based violence yeah. whereas on the, the the for the black market drugs it tends to be uh the, the violence business is attached to the trade of drugs yeah. and that's kind of the whole thing right i mean because of a black market because of prohibition we've taken a substance that's nearly worthless uh and we've given it immense value and I think there's a good argument to be made that, you know, you can now look at drugs uh, as being more valuable uh, than, in a way than human life, right? I mean, there are places in the world where you can buy a person uh, for less than it would cost to buy a pound of weed once it crosses the, the, the border from B.C. into America. So it shouldn't really be surprising that we have violence attached to that. The solution isn't more laws. I mean, the solution is right there is that prohibition just doesn't work, which we've seen time and time again. I think if you really want to try and stop somebody from doing something, you don't do that via laws. Uh, you can try and do it through education and treatment and what have you, but laws just don't affect people's uh, need, wants to actually go out and get high, apparently. I think that's what we've learned. Speaking of living outside of the law, Brent, Brendan, did you see that Worcester Magazine article about the turtle, or that Worcester, that, what do you call it, Telegram and Gazette article about the turtle boy? And the fancy video to go along with it, I did. Was it, what, what was, I didn't see the video. Hmm? I didn't see a video. Wait, in Worcester Magazine? Uh, no, 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 oh. on uh, Telegram, about oh, no. the Turtle Boy. Oh, no, no, I didn't see that. Oh, I'm not talking about heroin. Oh, I thought you were talking about... I'm sorry, I totally misunderstood. <laughs> it's all kind of the same, though, the heroin and the Turtle Boy. People know the Turtle Boy. This is this, this is this statue downtown of a boy uh, having sex with the turtle, yeah. um, which I think we would all... Maybe not all of us. Some of us would wish that this statue was of something else, such as a boy holding a turtle, but mm -hmm. I think that nobody thinks this. In fact, I was, I was just looking up this great old... Do, do you know, do remember the uh, 1955 National Geographic I did. I have a copy. article about Worcester? Well, yes. I, have, I have this great... There's, there's this great picture here of a boy looking at the turtle boy, and from, from, from this perspective of the National Geographic, you sort of can't exactly tell what the boy is doing with the turtle, but there are... But the the actual human boy is like making again. I can't see it all. He just has a total like. <laughs> so even a small boy in the fifties looked at this boy, this boy having sex with the turtle, and was like, "What's he doing with that turtle's butt?" <laughs> so the so what I really loved about this this Telegram Gazette article was that it pointed me in the direction of this New York Times article from nineteen twelve. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. I'm going to read this article. This is a this is this is this is basically the uh, obituary of the man who did the first draft of the Turtle Boy. I guess I guess that this statue was revised a little bit and mm -hmm. then maybe to make it more or less prurient, I'm not sure. And then uh, imagine if it was finished. 
what we could have in our hands now. Who knows? Who knows what was going on with this? Okay, so it's called. It's New York Times, January 29th, ninth, nineteen twelve. This is in the public domain, by the way. Phantom critics drive him to suicide. C. Y. Harvey, a sculptor, kills himself in Bronx Park on day the voices set leaves unfinished statue. Feared that the work of his hands was not good, though he had won prizes in Saint Gaudens's praise. Saint Gaudens was a famous sculptor of the time. Charles Y. Harvey, a sculptor who studied under St. Gaudens, lived and worked for the last two years in a studio on the Lincoln Square Arcade at 1947 Broadway. There, during the last week, he was at work upon the case for a fountain that was to stand in a square in a Connecticut city, but the work of his hands dissatisfied him, and as he tried to make headway, he was haunted by the voices of unseen persons who bade him take his life. The command was explicit. This, by the way... That's a newspaper article. This, you know, the Telegram article was 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 a a good solid yeah. article. This article was awesome. The command was explicit. It makes me want to just know what the weather was on that day in New York. I mean, that must be an amazing read. The voices from which he could not escape directed relentlessly that he lay aside his tools and kill himself. The day that they set was Saturday. Yesterday morning, some students were sauntering through Bronx Park, and as they were passing along the west bank of the Bronx River, near the botanical gardens, they stumbled upon the body of a man lying face up in the grass. The throat was cut, and nearby on the ground there lay two razors. One of the group, Jonathan Dork of 1983 Washington Avenue, the Bronx, hurrying away to notify the police, ran into Superintendent Corbett of the botanical gardens, who took the task out of their hands. In the dead man's pockets they found three cards, all bearing the name Charles Y. Harvey and the address 1947 Broadway. It was through these cards that the police picked up the thread of identification which was established later in the day when S.E. Fry, a sculptor, and Clifford Carlton, an illustrator, visited the Fordham morgue. Friends had hoped to save him. These two were of the few in the art circles who knew Charles Harvey at all intimately, for always he had been a markedly modest and retiring man, and in the two years since his return from the American Academy at Rome, he had been about little in the studio world. Other artists in the arcade building thought of him as a shy, silent man who did not seem to want their company, and they were inclined to let him alone. But Carlton and Fry knew it was company he needed, and were much past worried and were much worried about him during the past week, when he was more than ever beset with the delusion of voices. His friends knew that he felt the Italian people and the Italian government were his oppressors. He talked them to them of this trouble, and they were of half a mind to, to have him taken care of as a melancholia case that needed watching. Then he told them that he had received an order from a, a voice that he must kill himself, and they saw that there was no time to lose. On Friday night, to cheer him up, if he could, Mr. Carlton had him home to dinner and took him to a theater. It was midnight before he left him. His two friends had been urging Harvey to see a physician. It was half arranged that he should do so, but to make sure, Mr. Carlton consulted a doctor, whom he knew, and on Saturday morning, he took him around to Harvey's studio. The door was locked, and there was no answer to their repeated knocks. Then Mr. Carlton learned that Harvey had gone out, leaving word that he was going out of town, and later that he was... He was told Fry he intended to go to his mother and his brother in Great Barrington, Mass. 
The intimation was that he felt the need of getting away from his studio, away from his voices. They thought he had followed that impulse and wired a long message to Harvey, Great Barrington. It was all the address they had. But they wanted to send ahead some idea of the man's condition. There was no answer to the telegram, and yesterday came word that a man with Harvey's card in his pocket had been found dead in Bronx Park. As they set out on their task of identification, there seemed very little hope that the dead man was not their friend, although the police had guessed his age at fifty, and they had thought Harvey looked even younger than his forty-three years. Word came from Great Barrington last night that his brother had started for New York. Promise of a fine career. Mr. Carlton said yesterday that Charles Harvey was a man of charming manner and fine nature, and that he was a very clever artist. He understood that St. Gaudens considered him one of the most able of the younger men here, and who recommended him to fill the instructorship from which he had retired. It was on the recommendation of Daniel Chester French that Harvey obtained a three-year scholarship in Rome, and while there, he did a panel with the figures in relief, a photograph of which was exhibited at the Architectural League exhibition at the time of his return to New York two years ago. Harvey was bitterly despondent about his work, and so sensitive to the slightest criticism that any expression of adverse opinion caused him genuine suffering. His friends and fellow craftsmen, however, were most favorably impressed with the finished work that stands in his studio. It is the life-sized figure of a crouching boy holding a tortoise. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> and now you know. Could the you rest. imagine if, if the newspaper was actually written like that every day today? I mean, would we be here doing this right now if that's how newspaper articles were still still written? I wish we could do this show like that. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could do that voice that you just did for ten minutes straight. It was amazing. Worcester Magazine, <laughs> Brendan Mellican. Yeah, what shall we say of this humble collection of newsprint in the tabloid format? What did you think of the story? Uh, it's a good story. Jeremy Shulkin has an article about heroin this week. Um, I really. I really like this, by the way. This there's a little there's a little what do you call it? Little head subhead finding treatment with a little thing about methadone and whatever, right next to a little St. Patrick's bar <laughs> guy <laughs> bar ad. It's kind of unfortunate. Doesn't work out for you. It <laughs> just get trashed. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was fine. What did you? What, what was your takeaway from this? Uh, similar. No, I, there was some some stuff in there that uh, I, I I thought was very interesting. As a again, as kind of a local. Um, you know, the, the idea of there being a large population of heroin users in Worcester is nothing really new, uh, but it's <clears throat> interesting to see where the, the demographics are, how things are changing in the city, and how it's being dealt with. You know what I want in this article? Is I want a chart. Maybe there is a chart, because I didn't really look at the print version very carefully, but I, I want a I chart. chart. Well, I just I just want to see, like, the last 30 years, you find some heroin-related statistic and show me this in Worcester, the region, Boston, the country, maybe some, other, maybe some international number, and just show me the last 30 <clears throat> years. Is Worcester actually... Stand out on this chart, or is Worcester just whatever? I think it probably does. No, I, I think it's just one of those things that it, it, it's a little bit more public than it might be in other places, and a lot of that I think has to do with you know this, it, areas like around the pit shelter and whatnot, yeah. where I mean we've had historic, uh, historically we've had like open air drug markets and whatnot, and so yeah. I mean we, we just tend to see people in the open uh, abusing drugs as opposed to behind closed doors. I think it's just a, kind of an unfortunate byproduct of the way we set up some social services in the city uh, years ago, and you know what, what, the way that they uh, are easily identified at, at this point. Um, but you know, the Brian Grimm, he's an author, that he's the one that, that broke the story about uh, the uh, lack of LSD in the country, mm. going back to a missile silo raid from the Drug Enforcement Agency back at the early part of the, the last decade. This is um, this thing where, like, all the acid like in the United States the was coming from was one coming facility. From this one facility, and, and it was busted by the DEA. And he wrote a really good book a couple of years ago called This Is Your Country on Drugs, and the... the 
kind of takeaway point from that is that um, throughout, if you go back to the, the late 1800s when we kind of started keeping some loose data on drug abuse and, and substance abuse and what have you, all the way up till today, the, the thing that jumps out at you is that at no moment in time uh, have we ever seen an increase or decrease in the overall number of folks uh, addicted to drugs or dr abusing drugs. It's always been roughly 2% of the American population. Um, the only thing that's really changed is the drugs that are being abused, and oftentimes you can really point to like distinct moments in time where there's been major crackdowns from either fate, uh, state or federal governments on specific drugs, and it doesn't remove drug users or drug abusers, it just kind of shifts them to a new substance that then later becomes the target of uh, you know persecution or whatever, prosecution, mm. um, and then you see a further shift. So I wouldn't be surprised to, to find out that any ebbs and flows that we've seen are really just the result of either local, state, or federal um, interdiction efforts uh, that always end up being temporary before people's focus and attention is drawn elsewhere. People are just like, whatever, I do something Moving else. on to something else. Yeah. Very nice. Well, we've got about a minute left. We should mention that this week we made a video uh, in conjunction with Worcester Magazine uh, where we talked to um, Rod Whitkos, who is a blogger. We'll link to his blog. Yeah. Who's a, he's a paramedic, EMT. You're talking about heroin addiction. And our, I, I don't really understand what we're going to do with this series of videos we're doing with Worcester Magazine. <laughs> we're actually, so far, making no money. I don't know if we're going to make any money. <laughs> but it's been kind of fun, so it's I think we'll keep doing it. But no, it was not. What I liked about that was, like, you know, you can read a story, right? And it's hard to sometimes put tone and context into, you know, the people that are trying to convey a message there. It was kind of cool to actually sit down with somebody in advance of reading a story, uh, someone who had also been interviewed for the story and kind of get a, a better sense of where they were coming from, what their perspective is, you know, what their experience with the subject at hand has been. Well, we'd like to thank those of you on the Internet, those of you at home watching television, and those of you here in our live studio audience for watching the show. We'll see you again next week.